Welcome back to Aging Vision. My name is Deanne Martinsoris, and I'm your host for the show. I want to start by thanking our sponsor, Amdahl In-Home Care. Um, and I just wanted to say that I'm a little off track. Life got in the way this past month, and I am off schedule. So for my loyal listeners, know that my plan is to stay consistent so I can continue to provide you information that I hope you're going to find to be helpful. We are headed into a phase with an ever-increasing number of aging folks. Daily, I observe the increased need for information about care. I see and hear just how overwhelmed people are when they are faced with a situation that requires them to make some decisions for a loved one. I know that today's show is going to have a lot of information to cover, and in future podcasts, I will reference some of this information and try to break it down further. But I am just giving you a warning that I know this can be kind of overwhelming. But I wanted to give an overall picture of the types of care that are available as you're aging and the cost of that care. I'll have a part two to this that will address what covers those care options. My husband tells me I have a tendency to overshare and I worry this might be one of those shows. So bear with me and I hope to give you some information that may be valuable to you. I analyzed what order I wanted to present this data, and it makes sense to go with my years of observation. Crisis is when people most call. They're usually in a state of reaction, many are in a hospital or a nursing home, and they're facing discharge, and it's become obvious that the person they're calling about has needs that they need more help with than they're currently receiving, and in some situation, it's the first time they're going to ever be receiving care. When an aging decline is setting in, it's difficult to bounce back after a hospitalization. That is when it is most evident that someone needs some help. When someone needs an extensive amount of of help, usually a nursing home or a rehab facility is going to be the initial option upon discharge. It's extremely rare that you go to a nursing home from your home. There would actually be no coverage unless you had left the hospital within the 30 days previous, and it needs to be for the same reason as to why you were there in the first place. It does happen, but it's just like I said, it's just not very common that someone would go directly into a nursing home from home. But after you've been in a hospital for at least three days, Medicare will pay for an inpatient rehab for up to 100 days in what is called a benefit period. And a benefit period is going to start when you first go to the hospital, and it ends when you haven't received any hospital care or nursing skilled care for 60 days. If you go back into the hospital for at least three days after a benefit period is ended, then a new benefit period starts. But again, you have to have that 60-day window. And you can have as many benefit periods as you require throughout the year. But Medicare is going to end up paying for the first 20 days of going into a nursing home at 100%. And then after that, for the next 80 days, you are responsible for a daily copay amount and currently in 2020, the copay amount could be $170.50, depending on the level of skilled care that's being provided to you while you're in the nursing home. If you have a secondary to Medicare, you may not have to pay anything. But if you don't have a secondary, then it could be up to $5,115 per month that Medicare does not pay for. Now, there are requirements for 100 days of coverage to be paid for, and most people won't be able to meet them. Right now, I want to try to explain a little bit of terminology that's going to be important as we're discussing all levels of care. Medicare covers skilled nursing care. It does not cover custodial care. 
There may be some coverage at home if you have a Medicare Advantage plan. And the more that's known about this coverage, uh, I just want to assure you that I will share that in future Aging Vision shows. Custodial care sounds like the job the janitor at my elementary school was performing in my entire career. I have hated that name. I am going to reference it here for the intents and purposes of this podcast, because I think as you're trying to inquire and go through this yourself, you need to understand what it's called. And so that is what Medicare calls it is custodial care. But I've always tried to call it personal care. And Medicare, though, defines custodial care as the assistance with activities of daily living, which include assistance with bathing, eating, dressing, and toileting. Skilled care are items that require a licensed professional to perform, and these are things that Medicare covers. And those could be a registered nurse administering IV medication after a serious infection, a physical therapist working on getting someone up to walk after a broken hip, maybe a speech therapist to work on regaining the ability to speak after a stroke, or there's a such thing as an occupational therapist that's working on adaptive changes after a brain injury. Those are skilled care. Then there's one other little thing that's, um, it's not very well understood. And I don't know that, I mean, as I was doing some other research on it, I'm not even sure if it's supposed to be something that, how do I want to say this? You know, you're supposed to have that coverage up to a hundred days. But in my experience, what happens is people plateau and that's kind of what it's called. And you know, the different, the definition of plateau is a state of little or no change following a period of activity or progress. So what does that mean for Medicare coverage in a nursing home? Well, like I said, it shouldn't mean anything, but in my experience is when someone has plateaued, usually they are not going to receive the, the facility is not going to receive any further payment from Medicare for that stay. And so what happens is families and they'll be notified that the person's going to be converted to private pay on a certain date in the nursing home. And that's been the reality of what I've seen for a number of years. Um, But again, when you do research on that, you know, nursing home care is a a benefit that you have. And so um, it really, I mean, it just, it, it, I apologize. My gosh, my cat just jumped up on my desk. Okay, sorry about that. I digress. Where was I? Okay. So skilled care, you know, Medicare has documenting parameters for coverage. And if if those parameters can't be met, then coverage won't be provided. So for example, you fracture a hip, you have surgery, you go to a nursing home facility for rehab to get yourself walking again. When you first get to the rehab, you can sit at the edge of the bed and stand with some assistance. But after additional efforts to get you to walk, you can't do anything more or you refuse. And refusal does happen. I mean, sometimes people are just tired and maybe they're carrying extra weight. Maybe they just can't do it. Maybe there's dementia involved or you could be battling depression for the situation overall. And it takes motivation, especially if you're in your 80s and out of shape to begin with, or you've suffered loss of another. So if you're if you're going to be refusing, then Medicare is not going to want to pay for that care. And that's how that can happen to where you don't have really 100 days of coverage. Now, 
costs of care across the United States are going to vary. And I had always thought that California, where I reside, was one of the costliest states for care. And as I did some initial research, I discovered we're really at a median point across the nation for nursing home stays. Within California, there are also variables in different regions. You know, California has lots of different economies, different makeups of the state. And, you know, so there are areas that are very costly and areas that aren't. And so nursing home care in California ranges from 95000 to 165000 per year. Now, if you reside in Alaska, costs are the highest for nursing home care at around 340000 per year. And in certain pockets of Louisiana, you have the lowest cost of care at about 70000 per year. So with an average cost of a nursing home at nine to 13000 per month, this is when the initial shock sets in as you're learning there is no continued coverage. Now I am going to have a link at, on the Aging Vision website at agingvision.com for the Medicaid Planning and Assistance website. This site will show you the average cost of a nursing home per region in a state so you can kind of look up your area. And I already know that some of these numbers are dated because with increased minimum wage changes and increased costs, you know, I see that prices are elevating yearly in my state. When people learn of the cost, they start looking for other options. Of course, the number one thing most people want to do is go home. And unless someone has no recollection of their home, then home is usually the place that they want to be. It's familiar and very comforting. In the scenario I was describing of someone just able to sit at the edge of the bed and stand with assistance, well, that person is going to need someone with them 24 hours a day to be safe. Now, there could be variables, such as if the person was extremely cognitively aware, now that means they've got their marbles, then they would know to not get up without assistance. And when you require help to get up and you will not follow the direction to stay in bed without help, then you become a great fall, fall risk, which means further injury. Now, so this person needs to be able to follow that direction and understand the consequences of such. And if there's dementia involved, then it, it isn't going to be possible. So let's talk about home care. There are two types of care in the home, skilled home health and in-home care. In-home care is being provided by personal care attendants that assist with bathing, dressing, feeding, toileting, and numerous other things that help the aging population. These are the items that Medicare will not cover. Again, those are personal care items, also known as custodial care under Medicare. So upon an initial discharge from a nursing home, I would always ask for a skilled home health referral. Remember, you remain in a benefit period for that episode of need, and that includes skilled home health at your home. So you would request this of the discharge planner or case management department. They will work with obtaining an order from the physician for what skilled need will need to be done at home. There might be some short-term coverage to have nursing or physical therapy in your home, and I just really encourage that if there is some type of level of care, any, anything that's out there that's going to be covered, I really think that you need to take advantage of that. And, you know, there are things that can be able to help you, but again, care is not cheap. And so if, if there is a covered benefit and it does have the ability to help you, then I would definitely, definitely push for a home health referral. 
In my opinion, all custodial care can be managed in the home environment with supportive adaptive equipment. There are certain types of clients that make care in the home extremely difficult and in some situations impossible. And the first is people that are abusive to caregivers. Usually this is caused by a demented state. And I've seen this over the years in in our business. And, you know, we've had employees actually that have had work comp injuries because of being hit by, by people. There's, you know, most of the time we try to work around this. I mean, if somebody had the ability to have, um, oh, appropriate medication maybe that was going to make them not be so aggressive and mean, that's a possibility. But um, usually, again, people like this are not going to be safe. Or, well, I'm not going to say not safe. It's just that the ability to care for them in the home environment is just going to be ex- almost next to impossible. So... The other category is someone that is grossly overweight and even grossly overweight can be managed at home, but the challenge is going to become cost because there is going to be a need for a time for two caregivers during certain aspects of care and transfers. You definitely are going to need assistive devices in those kind of situations. Now, this is another sticker shock moment. You know, and I've, as I've talked to people on the phone, this is always a big surprise. I mean, first they're surprised at how much they're being told that they're going to have to convert to uh, being private pay now in a nursing home. And so I think when they call and they call an agency and they want to find out about home care, well, they're even more shocked that 24-hour care in the home is going to be more than a nursing home. And unless you have long-term care insurance, which we're going to discuss more in our in our part two segment, is that home care is paid for privately with your own funds. So now we're going to get a little more into that, but, but if you had 24-hour care in your home in the state of California, the hourly range right now is $24 to $31 per hour. Nationwide in 2016, that figure was $20.50 per hour. Now, California, in my opinion, has one of the higher costs in the nation, but it's not the highest. If someone required 24-hour care, it can cost upwards of seventeen dollars to $21,000 per month. But there are states that are even more costly than that. Again, as increased costs incur, you know, care is going to only go up. And home care is extremely labor-intensive for one-on-one care. I'm going to slightly digress and get a little political. As I've mentioned, I've been in this industry a very long time, and I've been extremely disappointed in the erosion of the exemptions that used to exist for caregivers in the home environment. Years ago, you could easily provide 24-hour shifts with one caregiver. Now, most reputable companies made sure this was only done with a certain kind of client, and it had to be someone that slept through most of the night. I mean, maybe they could get up once or twice to toilet. You know, meals needed to be, the, the caregiver would do the cooking of the meals, but the food needed to be provided by by the family and the caregiver was allowed to eat with, with the client, which is actually a good thing to do anyway. And they had the ability to have some downtime in the home. Now, I know that some companies didn't operate like that. I mean, some people put people in situations where you are taking care of somebody with dementia and they're up all night long. So I understand how labor groups began to argue that caregivers only needed to work eight hours a day. So the ability to provide 24-hour care, live-in throughout the nation has really changed, and the cost of such has just really, really gotten pretty pricey. 
And in my opinion, who suffered the most from this is the employees and the clients. Because of that skyrocketing cost of those, with the erosion of those exemptions for sleep time and overtime, clients need to have multiple givers in their home throughout the week. That's number one. That's something very frustrating to clients. The other thing is caregivers I've seen have needed to work multiple jobs to be able to earn what they used to be able to do with one employer. I mean, it just wasn't, I think the intent was, you know, protection of the employee, but um, I don't know. I just don't think it worked out like it really was. I mean, I just see that what's going to happen over time with the amount of care that's needed. So it's just really disappointing to me that this has happened. And I want to really stress that I respect the work of caregivers immensely. I mean, many, many years ago, I did this type of care before I went to nursing school. So I understand it. Working in the home environment, though, has its perks from being in a nursing home. So I just didn't, I just really just kind of disagreed with, you know, the exemption about the eight hours versus, you know, having an exemption to work longer than that. So, and I think what it's going to cause is that there's going to be a decrease of the segment of the population that could even afford to have in-home care. But I digress. So let's get back on, on track. But anyway, Some people will choose to hire privately to try to save money, and this is also becoming very difficult to do in some areas. I know that California has continued to erode the exemption for independent contractors, and the IRS has requirements on employment as well. We will discuss hiring privately more in depth in a separate show. So when people find all these things out, sometimes they just don't have an option to go home, especially when they require an extensive amount of care. That is why I believe as you age, your number one goal should be staying healthy and safe to avoid these challenges until it's absolutely unavoidable. And this is where being proactive has extreme advantages. Most people, though, with assistance in the home are receiving a much smaller amount of time than 24 hours a day. It could be anywhere between four to eight hours a day. Sometimes it's not even daily, just maybe a few times a week. And the help might be as simple as shopping and providing some home, you know, healthy meal preparation. There are people successful in their home that spend most of their time in bed or a recliner. If they still reside with someone else, they can sometimes get by with two, four-hour shifts a day. And these shifts might require helping someone to dress and undress, maybe getting them in and out of bed, maybe getting a meal and, you know, or two meals a day there and getting medication reminders done. And then they're fine the rest of the day. Another option for assistance is usually something that most people plan, but not all the time. And that is a move out of the home to either an independent living complex or an assisted living facility. Independent living can vary in what they provide. And because of that, the price can have quite a range. Nationally, the average is between 1500 to 6000 per month, and this is your own private dwelling area. Some independent living locations offer congregate dining, so you have three meals provided a day, which is really a great thing since nutrition is always usually a problem as you age, and they'll have weekly housekeeping as an option. They might also have a hair salon. Maybe there's a laundry room. Well, there is usually always a laundry room. They'll have activities on site and areas to mingle with others. Most of these places, um, it's in it. It's in within an enclosed building, and they can. You might even have a studio. You could have up to a one to a two bedroom apartment, and they'll be priced based on you know how much space that you take. 
In an independent living, it is usually required that you can make it to the congregate dining location on your own. Over the course of my career, I have seen these requirements ease some based on the aging process. No one ever likes to move to a higher level of care, so someone might hire a caregiver to go into that environment, which is now their home, to provide them some assistance. But if someone cannot safely get out of the building in case of a fire, then they usually are not safe to remain in an independent living complex. Now, some of these independent living complexes, you know, are a standalone, but then some of them are part of an assisted living that allows people to transition from independent living to assisted living when they need that higher level of care. So an independent living, is, it's not licensed other than the requirements for food safety because they usually have a kitchen and they have a business license. Now, an assisted living facility is licensed and you also would have a separate dwelling area and it could be a studio apartment or have a bedroom. Um, these are places that, you know, will have like a, a, they can be very large and they can be very small. You know, most communities have what's called a six bed board and care model. And usually this is done just in a, a three bedroom home. I mean, some of us have those in our own neighborhoods and we don't even really know that that's what it is existing. And so they would have two people residing in one room. So six people are living in that home. They would provide, uh, all assisted livings provide support in five main areas, which is bathing, dressing, medication management, meal prep, and they provide transportation for the most part. Some of those places are charging an all-inclusive fee for all the care needs to be met, food, laundry, housekeeping, and possibly even pet care. Then others charge, so some charge like that with just an all-inclusive fee, and then others are charging based on the number of interactions that are needed to provide the care or other services. And this is called tiered or level of care pricing. So let me give you an example of this. If you were incontinent and you wore Depends and you needed somebody to help change those Depends and, I don't know, let's say you could have it stretched out to where you needed to have that done three times a day. And so you're having intervention like three times a day, but let's maybe say you're continent. Maybe you have some dementia, you know, you can make it to the dining room on your own. Um, I don't know. Let me think of what else might, maybe though, what you need is you need to be encouraged to bathe a couple times a week. So you're going to be at a lower level of care versus somebody that has, you know, needs to have depends change multiple times in the day. So that's what tiered or level, level of care pricing is. Now, assisted livings, as I mentioned, they are licensed and they are usually regu regulated at the state level. But unlike nursing homes that are overseen and regulated by Medicare, there is not a national measurement or expectation of what is an industry norm, so they can vary across the nation. Some assisted livings have a dementia wing, or they might be completely dedicated to dementia care in a locked unit. So assisted livings, they're, that definition of assisted living, it's a very big variable as to what you might, the size, what you might be receiving. So because of that, the pricing has a pretty big variable as well. And in, in the state of California, the range is running about $3,500 to $12,000 per month. Whether you're living in an independent living, an assisted living, or a nursing home, all three of those provide you with something that is hard to receive at home, and that is the opportunity for social interactions and daily activities. 
And this can be very important and rewarding to the type of person that is social to begin with. Now, when you're having caregiving in the home, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think there's the opportunity, you know, to have activities and interactions as well, but it's not quite the same. I mean, you're not going to have that peer-to-peer kind of interaction that you would in an assisted living. But again, I've also seen it on the other spectrum is that there are some people that they're not that social to begin with. And so, you know, they just end up sitting in an apartment in an assisted living. And that's really kind of no different than what they would have done in their home environment. So I think it really just depends upon the person as far as where they're going to be more successful. Now, another option that I've always thought is a great thing, but unfortunately, they're not everywhere across the nation. I mean, in just in the vicinity that I'm in, in, I don't know, 30-mile radius all around me, I mean, I think, and I'm talking a population where I'm at in this area, I don't know, maybe 750 to a million people, there's maybe only one or two adult daycares that I'm aware of. And so that's really unfortunate, but adult daycare, there's just 5,000 of them operating in the United States and they either charge hourly or per day and per day they can range anywhere from 25 to a hundred dollars per day. Some offer trans- transportation to the program and others you must drop the person off. And so how this concept is set up as an adult daycare, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a place that you can take someone, an adult, to a daycare. And it usually runs Monday through Friday. And the hours of operation, they're usually pretty consistent with an average workday. I mean, maybe the drop-off can happen anywhere between 7 to 8 in the morning and pick up, you know, by 5 o'clock, something like that. But in my opinion, it's really ideal for someone that has a mild to moderate dementia that shouldn't be left alone. And they're usually still living at home with a healthy spouse or an adult child. And this allows a respite break during the workday for that family caregiver. Lunch is usually provided in these programs and there are activities throughout the day. It's known as a social model. Um, I just really think it's a great thing. Again, it's not everywhere. And sometimes I also think that it's not it's not easy or I don't know if easy is the right word. Um, yeah, I don't know how to describe that. I really think that sometimes it's, it's just, um, if somebody is mildly to moderate dementia, you know, they're, they're still kind of in that resistive phase of what's happening. And, um, so I think going to something like this isn't always well received. I just think that for the cost and the value of it, I just, I, I just really think it's like really beneficial if, if somebody was able to take advantage of this. An even rarer thing to find is a medical model adult daycare. And there are some of them out there in certain communities. And these will be for individuals that have medical needs. And so maybe they have a Foley catheter. Maybe they could be diabetic and they need to have injections during that time. So there is nursing staff in this model. And um, that also has some Medicaid or Medi-Cal coverage for individuals that are low income. Again, another reasonably priced option for people that um, need to have care. One thing that I think is, is becoming obvious is that options for financial coverage are very limited when it comes to needing assistance as you age. I know we've covered a lot today and it can be very overwhelming. So I think this will be a good stopping point. And I will move into our part two, which is going to discuss some options for planning and paying for care as you're aging. 
and I hope that you will find that to be helpful. I want to again thank our sponsor, Amdahl In-Home Care, for providing support for this podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe, or you can take a screenshot to share with others, or you can do it the old-fashioned way by telling your family and friends to check out agingvision.com. And until next time, thank you for listening, and whatever walk that you are on, I hope that you can find joy in your day. <music>